Welcome, friends. This is the Art of Aliveness podcast, and I'm your host, Chrissy Marie. It's a space where we explore how to nurture life force energy through the path of creativity, curiosity, compassion, courage, and connection. Let's dance. again. I'm back and I'm here to bring you a little bit deeper into my world today and a little bit deeper into my journey with play (laughs) and simplicity and courage, connection, how I cultivated a life that feels really radiant and alive and spacious and fun When I came from a lot of conditioning that wasn't that. (laughs) So I was looking at my, since 2014, I've kept an online journal. I've got a Google Doc and I've just been using it to just keep track of what's moving in my life. And I use it super sporadically. Like I wrote quite often in 2014 and then there was a gap and then the next entry date was 2016. So there is a gap in the data. Uh, But I, in the process of looking back, I was able to really feel into and remember where I came from and the energy that I was grappling with and the stories and the narratives and the patterns that were keeping me in places of constriction, over analysis, Um, procrastination, paralysis, overthinking, overconsuming. I was really oversaturated. I was very rigid for quite some time. So I wanted to share what that was like, like who that version of me was back in 2014. And I was, I was emerging from this place. Uh, This, you know, this was most of my life. These patterns that I'm going to share really started to kick in Uh, in big ways in my early like preteen years and uh, just sink in and and become more entrenched as I got into my 20s until things started to shift. And then I want to share what shifted for me. I want to share some of the things that um, allowed me to step into more of my fullness to live this life that feels really dynamic, feels really high def, really connected, really alive, really intimate. And some of the changes specifically that I made in my life, uh, measurably, due to the shifts in, uh, one, the way that I was looking at things, two, the practices that I developed, and three, the people that I connected with that offered me these new resources, this new revolutionary way of living. So let's start with who I was and some of the struggles that I was dealing with. Now, caveat here, I still deal with these things. Like I haven't eradicated my protective personalities and my tendencies to go into fear and contraction. That's just par for the course of being human. However, I'm painting a picture of what I'm about to paint a picture of what used to happen pretty chronically for me and what now happens very irregularly. 
And the way that I approach these patterns now is with so much more grace and spaciousness. So I just wanted to make sure people are aware that this isn't like, this is who I used to be and I'm completely different. It's like, no, I'm actually the same person. I'm just responding to what's arising in my system in a much different way. And that's what's creating this delicious life that I am blessed to be co-creating with other people. So without further ado, I'm just going to start by bulleting. Like <laughs> this is, this is, this is some of the stuff that I would do. Okay. And I'm saying this with love and endearment. So I would set intentions to do a routine, like a, like a wellness routine in the morning or at the end of the day. But I would hold those intentions so rigidly. If I didn't complete everything on the list or do it in the time that I thought it would take, I'd feel anxious, insufficient, uh, physically tight. My body would contract and I'd start to feel nauseous. Uh, my breathing would get shallow. I felt like my well-being relied on me doing certain things in a certain order consistently. And if I if I couldn't meet that order or I couldn't meet it in the time, it, I would write off my day. And so I had this protective personality that showed up all the time for me. Uh, her name, I've dubbed her All or Nothing Alice. And if my morning routine didn't feel good enough or if I didn't complete it, I'd pretty much, I'd write off my day. If I needed more rest and my body decided to sleep in, I'd write off the day as a wash, as a failure. I'd also write off the day if I overate or I binge ate in the morning or halfway through the day. You know, if I felt like I stepped out of integrity, if I reached for a coping mechanism to numb out, like, um, alcohol or smoking or a heavy sugary food, I would write off the day as a failure. And then I would continue to engage in numbing actions to further numb the growing shame and disappointment in myself. And overeating and binge eating was a, a pretty huge crutch for me at the time. Uh, I also had a protective personality that showed up chronically called rumination Rhonda. And I would ruminate constantly about what I thought I had to do or should do. So like if I was in the morning and I did my routine, then I'd be thinking about, well, what should I do throughout the day to make this the best day ever uh, or the most productive day ever? And I would just run that list over and over in my head because it felt productive. If I couldn't be tackling the task now, then I would, I would think about it over and over and over again. Because it gave this illusion of like, oh yeah, I'm being productive. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm moving in that direction of my goal or whatever. And it created such a disconnection from my body and the present moment. Uh, I'd be in a chronic state of concern and inner pressure. Like often, again, holding my breath, tightening my leg and stomach muscles, feeling nauseous as a result. You know, there was really very little room for me to be a human with cycles and hormone fluctuations and incredibly nuanced energy. It was very much this or that, black or white, good or bad Chrissy. So, you know, I was, I was constantly numbing out to avoid the constant self-flagellation. <laughs> you know, and, and part of that was because I didn't have I didn't have the resources uh, to be with and alchemize the intensity of my emotions. I hadn't learned about embodiment techniques. I hadn't really done deep work uh, with a mentor yet on 
how to alchemize my energy uh, effectively with love. Um, you know, but especially the, the energies of shame, inadequacy, disappointment. I, I had a really deeply entrenched fear that, um, that I would waste my potential. And not only that, that I'd become a burden on society if I wasn't in constant action mode trying to improve, if I wasn't like a machine that was just trudging, trailblazing for society. And so, you know, sensations would arise and I'd shut them down with a substance or social media. And I was, I was pretty two-dimensional when I did that, you know, really just living out a fraction of my aliveness. And I, I definitely didn't feel safe leaning into the fullness of my spectrum, leaning into the sensations of not only pain, but pleasure. Um, you know, and, and if I could stay present long enough to resist the temptation to numb out, then I'd, I'd continue to overanalyze, well, what would be the next best thing for me to do in order to get over these feelings? You know, I'd, I'd become crippled in indecision around like, should I meditate? Should I stretch? Should I do the dishes? Should I journal? Should I exercise? Eat now because I'm hungry or wait till after I exercise? And like, and back on the hamster wheel, back on the loop, the repetitive, should I this? Should I that? What's best? What's better? It's always about best, better, more. And, and underneath all of this was the underlying question of, you know, what's going to get me out of this funk the fastest? I was, I was coming from conquering energy. You know, I was coming from the energy of how do I conquer these feelings versus how do I honor them? So I definitely wasn't in conversation with myself the way I am now. You know, I, I was, I was all about shutting down these protective parts of me, these, these, and when I say protective parts, I mean the, the layers, the personalities that show up when I'm feeling not enough, when I'm feeling afraid, when I'm desiring connection. I just wanted to shut that all down instead of engaging in cooperative conversation. You know, the, the personalities felt like these parts of me, these layers of me that tried to self-sabotage connection, joy, um, but also like the parts of me that, that came forward when I felt shame or not enough, they felt like oppressors. And so then I would try to meet them with that oppressor energy versus understanding that these are actually victimized parts of me that really needed love. These are just out layers and elements of my inner child that needed love in order to feel more empowered, to rise. <sighs> so, so I feared uh, and I judged pain and discomfort as quote unquote bad. Uh, and because I did that, I adopted the identity of fixer or savior. And I got a really deep sense of value and achievement from being a good advice giver or seeing a client I was working with have a breakthrough. Um, because I identified as a fixer, I was constantly looking for problems to fix, <laughs> right? When all you have is a hammer, all you see is nails. And all I saw within myself were nails that I needed to hammer into submission. 
I couldn't see the magnificence of value outside of this identity. I was living outside the full spectrum of my potential, very much disconnected from a sense of being at home with myself, regardless of circumstance. My measures of wellness were all about how I looked, whether I was doing things I thought I should do, you know, that were right versus what I actually needed, which I struggled to discern because uh, I was constantly in avoidance mode. I wasn't actually taking the time to go into depth of conversation and sensation in order to suss that out. I'd, I'd just rack on more self-care things, quote unquote, because uh, I thought more was better. And really, I had no idea how behavior change actually works <laughs> or that I was constantly setting myself up to miss the bar I was setting for all the wrong reasons, by the way. Um, and again, catching myself with that language, right? But just ineffective reasons. They were out of, out of alignment with my true design, my true nature. And I was, I was putting distance over depth. I was putting superficial achievement over sacred experiences. And um, I'd also, I'd, I'd constantly be torn because because I was like starved for connection because I wasn't really willing to connect with myself at the level that I needed to. I'd constantly be torn between seeking external connection, like social connection and giving my body what it needed. So, and this is where like my boundaries were so loose and I was just a yes woman. And I'd say yes to social functions or yes to over over extending myself for a client or for work uh, one because I didn't want to disappoint people and then feel the sensations of having disappointed people right the, the of course the inadequacy and shame that would show up because that that's a trigger for me and two because uh, I was craving connection, right? I wasn't giving myself as much as I needed. And and so this would feed into the cycle of stress, fatigue, and disappointment with myself, right? And and then, you know, rinse and repeat. <laughs> rinse and repeat. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. And um, <laughs> my self-trust was withering. It was it was almost non-existent. Because, and, and by self-trust, I mean... Uh, my sense that I could make decisions in alignment with what I need versus what I want in any given moment. Um, you know, because I was constantly, uh, you know, overriding my body's needs. And I'd, I'd get to the point where I'd override my needs and intuition so much, like being out all night and um, self-flagellation and like ruminating and anxiety. I would need to call out of work sick often in order to feel like I could get back on track. And I'd have to like take the day off because I couldn't, I like felt like I, I had no more mental resources for my clients. And this was back when I was actually 2014, I was doing sales. Uh, and then I shifted to become a clinical social worker and I was working with clients and, and the sales was draining in a way that it just was not aligned with me at all or my soul at all. And the client work could be draining because we worked with, I worked with very intense families dealing with very intense um, nervous system dysregulation. So I'd often be walking into homes and there'd be like screaming or throwing stuff, like children would be tantruming, like parents would be arguing. And, and I would, you know, 
be there for hours at a time in their homes. So it was like uh, enhanced outpatient services is what I was doing. So it was a lot. And if I wasn't taking care of myself, I just, I couldn't handle it. I, I, I knew that, um, you know, the second I started to resent my clients and I started to feel completely checked out, I was like, oh, I need to call out sick. Like I'm really, I'm going in the red here. <laughs> I'm in the red. And, and I've used before this metaphor of a pendulum of, and how our energy is constantly swinging, you know, back and forth throughout these different frequencies up and down the scale of consciousness and down into the, into the red, the root chakra, the shame, the security sensations, and then up into, you know, the crown, into the states of connection, like deep um, immersion with the divine, a sense of oneness, like that bigger picture, uh, knowing. And, and most of us live um, somewhere in the middle or somewhere in, well, most of us, I think, are living mostly in the first three uh, centers that those survival centers. And I, I was afraid to swing from either end of the spectrum. Like, I didn't want to go into the red. I didn't want to feel shame. Uh, and I didn't also want to feel joy and pleasure too much for reasons I'll share in, shortly in terms of like the popular narratives around play and joy and, and what I was afraid of being judged for. Um, but I'd ironically, I'd allow myself to swing into the field of joy and pleasure if I was drunk or smoking or dissociating, uh, bypassing my protective layers. Um, but because it was forced and against my inner nature, it would eventually catapult me deep into the other side of, you know, back into the red where I just felt dark and dense and oh, helpless. And, and it was only until I, I stopped resisting both sides of the spectrum when I stopped judging either side as, as bad or, or one side is better than the other, uh, that my energetic pendulum naturally began to swing actually a lot more frequently. I was like, wow, there's, I am quite a wavy person, uh, but it had a reliable rhythm and one that I learned to trust and make music to. <sighs> more on that in a moment. I want to consolidate some of the core beliefs that were running uh, these, these patterns. So the, some of the thought forms that were perpetuating these um protective personalities and behaviors they are <laughs> i'm only on purpose if i feel good i'm only on purpose if i feel good and if people around me are telling me that they appreciate me also i invite you to just feel into these and see if there's parts of you that resonate with these stories i mean i still resonate like there are parts of me that are still like yes i believe that right <laughs> Again, those parts don't go away. I just get a lot more masterful at loving them and nurturing them. Okay, so no self-flagellation. If you notice yourself in any of these stories, it's just like, oh, that's curious. That's me too. Really, this is about like, oh, let's let's have some like solidarity around being human. Like, hello, we all have these layers. <laughs> okay, which ones feel this, the most charged for you? This is great feedback. First one, I'm only on purpose if I feel good and people around me are telling me they appreciate me. Ugh. Second one, I can only be productive if I feel good. And 
if I can precisely measure how my actions are moving me towards what I want. If I'm resting, if I'm playing, that, that shit didn't feel productive. I'm like, yeah, that's, but that's not like connected to what other people think is valuable. At least that's what I thought at the moment. I have been, I have been, that's been debunked. <laughs> but at the time I was like, no, I need to be like building my resume and, and sounding and looking really intelligent and competent and making sure I'm, you know, look, look like I got my shit together. <laughs> so the other belief is I'm only prosperous when I achieve things that my community thinks are worthy of praise. Again, productivity, prosperity, this is about external validation. Uh, and, you know, prosperous so long as I can manifest the next shiny certificate uh, trip, retreat, 20K month, whatever people are talking about that seems to be like the gold star standard of this means you're wealthy. <laughs> you know, and, and my sense of well-being was completely, like for the most part, outcome-oriented and social validation-oriented. I really, I really struggled to organically sense, uh, source a sense of purpose productivity, prosperity. I was creating a lot of issues uh, in my body and relationships. Orgasms, like let's talk that for a moment. Very forced. Like I felt like I couldn't fully surrender. Like my sensuality, my sexuality, all of that was so constricted. So constricted. I couldn't fully delve into pleasure. Everything felt so serious. If people around me weren't thriving, it was like, oh my God, well, what do I need to do to like open them up? And it was just like, mm, how can I grasp? How can I, how can I strive so hard? <laughs> Everything felt like a giant responsibility. You know, like the weight of evolution of consciousness was on my shoulders. <laughs> and again, it was this deep underlying fear that I'd waste my potential, that I just wouldn't be enough in this lifetime. So, so that, that kind of encapsulates the energy that I was tussling with on a day-to-day -day basis. Especially in my late adolescence to early 20s. Okay, now, <laughs> I want to be so clear about this. I'm still very human. And I still have plenty of protective personalities. These beliefs, these layers of me, they still show up. There, there are usually three protective personalities or characters or stories <laughs> waiting in the wings, tugging at my skirt in any given moment. But again, my approach to these layers is wildly different now. I am so much more spacious, productive, prosperous, playful, and connected to myself, my clients, and my relationships. So what did I shift? Well, I started exploring and devoting myself to five foundational paths to aliveness that are each intimately connected. They each serve each other and they create an incredibly natural and optimized flavor to personal expansion. And I've called these paths prism because I became, I became prismatic 
when I devoted to them. Meaning I went from living in these black and white oppressive should and shame spirals to living into the fullness and the dynamic depth of who I was designed to be. So I want to share a little bit about what a full spectrum life means to me. So for me, a full spectrum life is a life lived in clarity, intuitive clarity and faith, inner and outer prosperity and freedom of expression. And those who choose it are devotees of depth and wonder and they commit like a prism to shining light through every facet of their being in order to radiate themselves fully into the world. And because they commit to shining light into the corners of themselves that they used to hide from, they experience a full spectrum range of aliveness and meaning in this lifetime. Mm, Their life is lived in high definition. Their connections are intimate and abundant. Their sex is profound. Their presence is compelling. And their service is uniquely unmatched because they're living in alignment with their zone of genius and their gifts and they're not so stretched in a thousand different directions because they think that they need more in order to be more. And they walk through the world with a sovereignty only afforded by a willingness to know and express themselves deeply and their freedom lies in their ability to be at home with themselves anywhere and to be able to take the raw material of their life and turn it into art. Their very presence is poetry, an ode to their multidimensionality. Hmm. I really love that last bit. <laughs> when that came through me, I was like, yes. <laughs> There's something about living life as poetry that really just <sighs> softens me. melts me I had this phrase this other like line come through me a few days ago it was you deserve to live a life where your work you know your service and your play your pleasure your joy tangle like synchronized lovers Like, why do we put our work and our play, our pain and our pleasure in separate boxes? Why why do we do that? (laughs) When there are much more interesting ways to live, (laughs) which I'm about to talk about. So I want to share. Okay, so that's, that's my sense of prismatic living and what it means to be a prism. And, and some of the biggest Let's talk big foundational shifts I made that allowed me to step into prismatic living. One, I invested in powerful mentors. I was such a lone wolf for like quite some time. I still can be, you know, I'm very Capricornian energy. It's like, get shit done and I'm gonna do a best. (laughs) 
And I had a hard time relinquishing, um, not so much relinquishing, revealing myself, my vulnerabilities to people. I just didn't trust that they could hold it. And, and then I met people that I saw were wielding their vulnerabilities as power. And I thought, that's, that's how I want to live. And so I paid them <laughs> to mentor me and show me how to move through the world, invite me into this new way of this revolutionary way of being. And, and as I did that, so as I worked with these mentors, uh, part of the shifts occurred when I started, um, realizing that I wasn't unique in my shame and that, uh, in fact, <laughs> a lot of my stories, my protective personalities were like incredibly ironic, um, and ridiculous. And I, and I learned how to find humor, uh, in the fact that parts of me, uh, enjoy <laughs> feeling victimized and shitty. Uh, especially cause you know, when I, when they are in that space, it makes me feel justified and not engaging in responsibility. It's like the closest I would get to surrender. <laughs> it's like, well, I'm a victim now, so I'm just going to give up. And, and I, and it felt like, like, well, what a relief to some degree. Right. And so like learning how I get off on these, these self-sabotory layers has been, and laughing at that has been huge. Um, I also learned about my nervous system and how my nervous system works and how trauma gets stuck in the body and how to release emotions effectively, naturally. Uh, I learned about my unique play styles and personalities, my play personalities, and I started to make those a priority. And I committed to developing a relationship with my higher, wiser self, my soul. Hmm. You know, and as, as a result, I, I started allowing sensations, expressing them, conversing with them. Uh, I started to shift from self-celebration. I'm sorry. I started to shift from self-flagellation to self-celebration uh, and focusing uh, instead of the nails that I was focusing on. It's like, where do I, what do I need to hammer into submission? Instead of looking for problems, I started to look for things that I appreciated I went, I went from what needs to improve to what is already here for me? And can I revel in gratitude for that? You know, and so I went from rigid to flexible and oversaturated to spacious. And I learned how to map that path. I learned how to intuitively nurture my way uh, back into connection and, and prism, and I'll share each, each little facet of prism so that you can understand and feel into how these, how these things really dance together in such a gorgeous way. And, and these elements are part of my new one-to-one mentorship program that I'm now offering, launching at the moment. I feel it feels so incredibly aligned and delicious to be sharing the work that I've been doing for years now in this particular format and fun little synchronicity. I was creating the sales page for Prism a few days back and there had been a storm that blew through. Um, and when I looked up, there was this 
gorgeous prismatic rainbow in the sky. And of course I was like, oh my goodness, it's, there is a message here. So I pulled out my camera to, to take a picture. And when I did, I captured a lightning strike crossing straight through the rainbow. Like it was, gosh, if spirit couldn't have been speaking louder to me <laughs> about the power of these paths and, and how much this work is needed and how timely it is for me to be offering this now, right now, you know, and trusting that those of you who are listening, that there are some of you that, that will be served by this transmission. So I'm going to break down what each of the uh, letters of PRISM stand for, and then the, the corresponding popular narratives that I am going to debunk. I'm going to debunk them in depth in future podcasts. I also have a little ebook that I'm going to offer anybody. It's a free ebook at the end that debunks uh, each of these myths and initiates you into the different paths. But here's a little just overlay of what each uh, letter stands for. So P is, is play, of course. <laughs> and, and this particular element um, when you journey with me, this particular element is all about redefining and rediscovering your most organic and natural relationship to play. And some of the myths around or the popular narratives around play is that it has to look a certain way. Joy and silliness. It needs to look childlike. There needs to be endless bouts of pleasure. Right. And as part of journeying the play path, the path of play, we are debunking that and recognizing that actually play is a lot more diverse than joy, silliness, and childlike behavior. So we explore what that looks like. We're also debunking the myths that play is ir irresponsible, uh, immature, that you have to do it after hard work, that it distracts from productivity, that people won't take you seriously if you're playing, that it makes you look out of touch, and that it's just one more thing to add to your schedule. All of those things are myths. They are lies. And so when we're engaging in the path of play, we are actively working on collapsing comparison in your energy patterns and discovering and amplifying your unique relationship to play and, and recovering it really from childhood. And play eventually, it becomes a lens that you work through and process through, not another thing that you need to do. You know, unless, of course, you want to add more play. <laughs> the R in prismatic living is about radical relating. And this is about moving from avoidance into deep curiosity and acceptance with the parts of yourself that feel really sticky and sensational. And when you walk the path of radical relating, we facilitate excavation and liberation around your relationship to control and surrender, rest and pleasure, play and responsibility. And you begin to develop an intimate connection with the different layers of the inner child. So the more you do radical relating around self-sabotage, the more you liberate the parts of you that want to play. And I, and I also facilitate something called shadow play. 
which is a very witchy and transformative process of bringing humor and play to the parts of us that want to sabotage. And and I used to feel like if if I gave shame and my limiting stories attention, oh, then it gives them more power. It gives them more control over me. So I just, I, I got to change my focus. I need to pivot. Which is bypassing. <laughs> it's bypassing. Sometimes, sometimes we like to marinate too long in our spaces and there is a time and place for pivot, but I wasn't using it like that. I was using it as, as a bypass. I was like, nope, I can't, I can't pay attention to these parts of me. And underneath that, really what I was saying and the belief was, I can't handle the intensity of my feelings. I'll go crazy if I feel the full spectrum of my humanity. I'll lose my sense of self. I'll, I will float away. <laughs> and, and so because I was so afraid of that, you know, the next story is, well, this doesn't feel productive. <laughs> Being with myself in this way doesn't feel productive. Best to reframe myself out of resistance. <sighs> And this is where the next piece comes in, intuitive nurture. Um, and this is about connecting one to our higher, wiser voice, but also connecting to our nervous system and learning what our body needs in order to move us from a place of protection into connection. Like how to actually open back up when you've gotten caught in a shame spiral. How to release the tension and create a sense of safety and home inside internally. And I used to think, you know, healing, healing has to be linear and measurable. So breakdowns and self-sabotage means that I'm missing something. And so because I felt like I was missing something, I would, I would immediately like jump into the mind and try to figure out what I was missing, which is divorced from, from how trauma release actually works because trauma lives in the body, not in the, not so much in the mind. And, and I felt like, you know, I can't trust my body, my mind to guide me in the direction of what I want. It's too attached to what my ego wants. <laughs> so because I can't trust my body and now I, I've got to over rely on my mind. I've got to like constantly be in that rumination phase. And I had this belief like rest is for the lazy. <laughs> and because I, I couldn't rest, I could never fully settle to connect to my intuition and so I believed that intuition is for people with special powers, like the chosen ones. <laughs> and as I started to debunk all of those, I recognized that, oh, actually navigating and learning about my nervous system. And, and this particular piece was nurtured like heavily in mentorship with other people. Like the experience of being in a room or on a call with somebody who could deeply hold me in um, nervous system release, somatic release, like deep, like I'm crying, I'm ugly crying, I'm snotting, I'm hyperventilating. Like that was the most, some of the most healing experience. Some of the most healing experiences I have had was when I was witnessed in nervous system release. So when we walk the path of intuitive nurture together, we develop a deeper relationship with your body, with your nervous system needs, with your intuitive voice. Um, we work on cultivating more conviction with your wiser self, your inner nurturer. 
and train, retrain your nervous system to embrace process, faith, and unpredictability. And, and this allows you to create a very personalized map for your nervous system to anchor back in love and purpose, regardless of circumstance. And a big part of this is about recognizing that you are unique, not in your shame, but in your gifts and in the way that you need to navigate disconnection in order to get back into connection. So what might be working for another person might not work for you in terms of nervous system regulation and recognizing that just because it's working for somebody else doesn't mean it's what you need. Doesn't mean you need to add on another self-care thing because somebody else is thriving doing yoga or breath work or whatever, (laughs) right? Maybe it'll work for you, but maybe it's not your thing. Maybe it's not what your nervous system needs. And so this is where sacred S Sacred simplicity comes in. This is all about getting to what's essential for the maturation of your inner child intuition and life. You know, I would have so many things on my uh, morning routine. I could never finish all of them. And most of them were there, not because like I needed to do all of them, but because I thought that this is what a a good person working on their, you know, self-improvement would do. And, And it was so much less about the, the actual utility of them and more about what I thought I needed. And as you start to develop more intuitive nurture, you begin to taste what it feels like to hold a level of competence that rests in your relationship to your intuition, cultivating that over anything else and presence and the capacity to just sit and allow and be with yourself. So much of my morning routine stuff, my routine stuff was about like getting somewhere else. (laughs) It was about like raising my frequency versus being with what was already there first. And I have found that when I simplify like I really just pare down what I'm engaging with, my routine, my, my check-ins. Like I don't need a lot to come back to homeostasis and to open up to intuition. But if I start with trying to connect to intuition before clearing my nervous system and playing with intuitive nurture, ooh, that's when I go into that paradigm of more is more. <laughs> more is more. Yeah, there's, I have, there's so much I can say about that, but I'm going to leave that there. <laughs> That's a whole other, all of these are entire podcasts. And then the M in PRISM is about magnetic resonance. So this is about me actually radiating more of myself into the world. So I had these stories and these narratives that it's not safe to be seen in joy and pleasure. And it's not really safe to be seen in dysfunction either. Both of them would render me rejected. <laughs> Uh, because joy, you know, joy and pleasure, kind of going back to play, that looks like she's out of touch. And deviant and dysfunctional, well, that looks like she doesn't have her shit together. So she's not a safe person or she's, you know, she's not somebody I want to connect with. And I had this story that um, in order to be successful in business or in life, I had to present myself consistently, like stably. Uh, and to be magnetic, I'd have to have like a big, shiny personality a big shiny resume, a big shiny following. I had to <coughs> have profound insights <laughs> moving through me all the time. Ooh, even just like ugh, saying that is like drying up my throat. 
I'm gonna take a sip of water. Hold, please. Hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah, so this path of magnetic resonance, this, this started to show up as I developed inner compassion and conviction that my presence is enough, that my, the fullness of my spectrum and, and, pro, and being in process with it constantly is actually my gift to the world. <laughs> and, and I began to, as I began to radiate more of that self-love and that naturalness, that okayness with myself, into the world, I started attracting friends, clients, more mentors that were in alignment with what I needed versus what I thought I wanted. My codependent relating patterns started to drop off. And and this is where, this is what allowed me to build my business. So this is when I started to really dive into these paths, like play, simplicity, um, radical relating, intuition, and magnetic resonance started to come online and I started to show up more more powerfully, not not so much more bigly. Like it wasn't like a, oh, here I am. I mean, it was that in some ways. But it was like, here I am and I'm okay with it. I started attracting people into my space that were like, what, who, mm, I, want, I want more of that. And that's when I made the shift from social work to becoming what I am now, you know, and doing what I do now, which is like life optimization coaching and teaching people how to alchemize um, resistance and develop a deep relationship with play and joy. And so through committing to this prismatic path, these five paths, here's, here's what's changed for me. I and, and here's what I'm really good at. And I say this with like deep conviction and a sense of like, ah, wow, yes, this is my power. So I now feel deeply convicted and integrated in terms of bringing play into my work. I see how play opens me up to intuition and presence. And because of that, I have a deep conviction that every moment carries purpose and because I have a deep conviction in my naturalness in my presence and in my sense of "Mm, yeah I've got this and I can hold myself I've gotten very good at letting go of my attachment to other people's healing journeys and what and what their healing journeys need to look like or should look like as I've developed a conviction in, in more of the feminine intuitive ways of meeting life and energy. And I'm also really practiced now at cultivating boundaries from a sense of compassion versus resentment. I feel much more grounded in what I need and convicted in in. in asking for that and declaring that without guilt. You know, my capacity to weave calm through chaos has increased. I, I get off on feeling my feelings now. <laughs> I'm like, wow, 
I really respect the aliveness that the fullness of, of my spectrum brings. And I feel so confident in my capacity to co-create healing with others. I feel so convicted in what I'm here to offer. And in terms of my business, when I left social work and I developed my own business, I, I really developed it from the ground up. I don't have any business background. I've been learning as I go. But ever since leaving social work, in terms of uh, just like external monetary stuff, I've made much more money working for myself, walking this path, this prismatic path, than I ever did working for anybody else. I don't procrastinate nearly as much as I used to. I'm much more productive. I've learned how to use rest and play and fun and bring them into each facet of my business to maintain momentum and energy. I attract clients that I adore working with. I have what I need when I need it. I attract the mentors and the support systems that are perfect for me. And friends. Gosh, my friendships have become so much more deep and dynamic and they're, they're matching me at, at a level of resonance and personal responsibility that I've never had. I trust that my presence and my process in any given moment is directly related to the success of my business and what my current or future clients need. My life feels so much more spacious. I can track what's going on in my inner landscape and use that map as a permission slip for those around me to deepen into their own voyage. And I meet my protective personalities with so much more grace and intuitive nurture. You know, sensations like anxiety and depression and fear, they don't knock me out of the way. They don't knock me off <laughs> in the way that they used to. You know, this is possible for anybody to experience. You deserve your work and your play to tangle like synchronized lovers. <laughs> to feel spaciousness and a sense of conviction in, in the enoughness of your presence, to revel in simplicity, to allow play to be your path to power, right? and to not feel like you have to sacrifice self-expression inner freedom at the altar of service and responsibility. You know, and as, as a little gift, I'd like to offer uh, an ebook that I mentioned that further debunks these stories and these myths about uh, play, radical relating, intuition, simplicity, and magnetism. And there's some curious journaling prompts I created in there. So you can begin exploring where you're at with each of these prismatic elements. And also really feeling into, is mentorship the next step for you is receiving radical, unconditional, expertful support what your soul is calling you deeper into. I mean, for me, it was, it changed so much. It was such a, an opening um, that humbled me in, in all the exact places I needed to be humbled and softened and massaged. 
And, and the ebook is called Five Paths to Full Spectrum Living, A Bold Revolution. And I use the word revolution very intentionally because these paths don't follow the mainstream narrative of consume and compete and achieve. You know, these paths are about simplifying and serving through play and cooperation and radical intimacy <laughs> with ourselves. And right before, check this, right before I jumped on to create this podcast, I opened up a book this morning and I asked for a divination. I asked to receive the message that I needed to hear right now. And this is what I opened to. (sighs) I think that Jesus's life shows me that revolution is not a big thing. It's a very small thing. We've got to live it in small ways, out of little communities. I'm going to butcher this person's name. By the way, this is not in the book, but (laughs) this person's name is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. (laughs) So he's mentioned. Uh, There was a German theologian who died in a Nazi prison. One of the things that he says is, the person who's in love with their vision of community will destroy community. But the person who loves the people around them will create community everywhere they go. Something that's held us together is not just to fall in love with a movement or a revolution, but to try to live in radical ways and in simple ways. I think the world right now is undergoing a beautiful transition of thought. End quote. (laughs) this passage is from an interview that Krista Tippett did in her book Becoming Wise and I am not surprised that I opened directly to a page talking about revolution and simplicity because that my friends is where I'm headed (laughs) and you are welcome to dance with me along these paths if you feel ignited and alive at this particular transmission. So prism is a revolution. I desire to dance with you in this dynamic way of living. I think that this is, if we all can deepen into mm, play and simplicity and meaning and enoughness and unplug from these narratives that I've mentioned of consumption, comparison, achievement, competition the spaciousness i mean we'd be unstoppable and more on that in the ebook definitely read um and check out the ebook i will put a link to that in the show notes of this podcast and information for prism will be linked to the ebook so you can look at that and explore that further if that interests you also you can just go right to my website theartofaliveness.com and explore that as well i would love to hear any feedback anything that resonates that feels exciting any questions that you have anything you'd like me to clarify you're welcome to either email me at theartofaliveness at gmail.com or you can come in and join our free Facebook group on uh, on, on Facebook. Uh, it's called The Art of Aliveness. Um, I've, 
I have since taken out the podcast insiders because now it's more of a general group where I'm just sharing transmissions, not just podcast episodes, but also live videos. And um, if you hear this uh, podcast before Sunday, I am going to be going live with a dear friend of mine, Mish Denny. We're going to be talking about having more with less and how we're training our nervous systems to feel safe with less and trimming the fat off of our personal development and our purpose work and our expectations. And we're going to be musing in there directly in that private group uh, at 10 a.m. Eastern time, 3 p.m. UK time on Sunday, August 1st. If you're catching this episode after that, you can still come into the group and catch the replay. So definitely jump in there only if you're feeling called to that. And until next time, my friends, play on.